What it do, what it do, what it do, baby. We're back. We got a phenomenal episode today with um, one of the co-founders of HVMN. I uh, had Michael out at the farm and showed him everything that we're up to here, uh, where I'm recording ads right now during Full Temple Reset. We did a little podcast here in the office and went off on, on all things ketogenic, high-end training. Uh, HVMN has been one of my favorite ketone products on the planet since probably since they launched the probably the rate limiting factor of them taking off was that it was so damn expensive because their ketone worked it was the very best i think it was 30 dollars uh, a serving when they first came out now it's um much 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 more affordable they have contracts with the department of defense darpa they work with the navy seals these guys work with you know not just high end athletes but some of the greatest performers on the planet that put themselves in harm's way. And in doing so, they have learned a lot about um, peak performance and recovery, how to heal from TBI and CTE and all sorts of stuff, all with the use of ketones as well as ketogenic diets. So it's been a minute since we've really gone down the rabbit hole of low carb. And um, I wanted to, to refresh all things. We talked about training, Michael's training style, uh, he's a graduate from Stanford, which says a lot in and of itself. I mean, me being a Bay Area kid, that's <laughs> that was the holy grail. You know, if you grew up on the East Coast, you got Harvard and, and uh, MIT and all that stuff. But on the West Coast, it's Stanford. And um, he and his co-founder, Jeff Wu, who I'm going to get to meet here at the end of the month, both Stanford grads, both excelled. Um, we talk education, we talk a whole bunch of other stuff, even outside of ketones and, and performance optimization, but I love this podcast. Michael is an exceptional human. I will definitely have him back on. And, uh, I'm pumped that these guys have a new formula that has, has been made far more affordable. Uh, I've been using it all month in prep for this fasting mimicking diet, and it's made a world of difference. I mean, a world of difference in me being able to almost reverse engineer my appetite uh, I, for a while there was wearing a CGM. I'm going to have Dan and Kara back on. I mentioned that on this podcast, uh, as you guys will hear later. And I'm pumped to discuss some of the results that I've seen from wearing the CGM in trying to lose weight versus trying to gain it. And, um, the ketones, you know, I, I've, I basically, I, d I did this fasting mimicking diet in January and have been keto adapted, but really have been eating a high amount of carbohydrates with every meal up until prepping for this, which I started using the HVMN product for. And it just killed my appetite. It was like instant cognitive energy, instant bodily energy, and no desire for food. So I'd have um, like a bulletproof style coffee. I would have a shot of the HVMN ketones and then fucking lift off, ready to go. So proof's in the pudding. Even if you're not keto adapted, this stuff still does work. And if you are keto adapted, it works that much better. But um, love these guys, love this company, and I'm stoked to share everything with you guys on this podcast. This podcast is supported by you guys sharing it so more people get to listen to it and supporting our sponsors because our sponsors make this possible from a financial standpoint. Uh, they allow me to work less doing my other jobs and contribute more into researching, uh, reading the books from the authors that I have on the podcast, really diving deep and, and self-experimenting with all of the supplements that I use before I have um, someone like Michael on the podcast to discuss that. I want to know, does this, is this the real deal? And this is the real deal. Um, each 
sponsor I have hand-selected, and if it's not me, it is one of my closest teammates that has known me for years, that knows me inside and out, and says, hey, dude, you need to look at this. This is a dope company. So with that in mind, these guys are the best of the best, and we're brought to you by several of my favorite companies today. Today's podcast is brought to you by Super Speciosa. Super Speciosa is easily the best Kratom company I have ever worked with, the, my favorite company I've ever used. GetSuperLeaf.com slash KKP is going to take you there. You can try Kratom and get 20% off your entire order. Many of you have heard me talk about Kratom. Kratom is a plant medicine. There is a euphoria you have when you have Kratom. And um, that can vary for people based on dose and based on strain. There's a lot of different uh, strains out there from the red colored to the green colored, green vein, uh, the gold, you name it. And then based on which part of the world they're from, red Bali has a different tinge than uh, red tie. And it's really only through experimentation that you'll come to know that. So start small, work your way up and see what feels best for the moment, right? I have a different protocol from when I'm working out than for when I want to relax and watch a movie and go to sleep at night. But Kratom is phenomenal in each of those circumstances. I jokingly talk about the fact that, uh, you know, there's a guy in, in Half-Baked who's like, have you ever seen the back of a $20 bill on weed? It's just better, right? And that's how I am with Kratom. Orgasms are better. Workouts are better. Running is better. Watching movies is better. Not drinking alcohol, but instead having Kratom, way better, way better for your muscle, better for your body, better for your recovery. And um, these guys have absolutely no fillers whatsoever. It is just the plant. It really just helps you feel good without feeling impaired. That's what it boils down to. And it's one of the reasons I gave cannabis up after college was that I always would feel impaired. I would have less work ethic. Kratom does not do that. Uh, many of the people in the cultures where this grows were the field workers, the people who had to bust their ass all day long in the brutal heat of Southeast Asia. And they would take Kratom leaf via tea or via powder and capsules and really work with that to allow them to do manual labor in the sun where it's the most hot and the most humid year round. And that would help them grind through that. So if you've got a grind and you've got a, a long haul ahead of you, whether it's a road trip or just a tough day at the office, or if you want an extra pep in your step when you get off work and you want to show up as the best version of yourself for your kids, Kratom's a great option. Check it all out. Get superleaf.com slash KKP and remember the code KKP at checkout for your 20% off your entire order. That is G-E-T-S-U-P-E-R-L-E-A-F.com slash KKP. We're also brought to you by my friends at Buy Optimizers, P3OM. Have you had bad gas lately? I know this may be an uncomfortable topic. The only reason I bring it up is because bad gas is a sign that you have undigested food fermenting in your gut. This is occasionally a problem for all of us. Just ask my wife. <laughs> and that's why I want to tell you about P3OM products. Uh, I often get gas from certain things, you know, whether that's like Eden family beans when we're doing Taco Tuesday, I'm going to have it. But I can greatly reduce that with P3OM and Masszymes. That's a, a fantastic one from Bioptimizers. But P3OM is a patented probiotic that eats up excess sugar, eliminates bad bacteria fast, and protects your gut from inflammation and viruses. That's right. It's going to strengthen your immune system. P3OM also improves digestion, speeds up metabolism, and increases and increases energy throughout the day. What makes P3OM so different from other probiotics is that it can survive the gastrointestinal tract and it goes through your whole body to support your gut and your entire immune response. It's a secret weapon for reducing or eliminating bad gas and upgrading your immunity and protection against bad bacteria. Here's some more great news. 
You can get 10% off P3OM right now by going to p3om.com slash kingsboo and typing in coupon code KINGSBOO10 in all caps. And if you order it and it's not everything you hope for, there's a support team that will give you all of your money back, no questions asked. Just visit P number three, the letter O M dot com forward slash K I N G S B U to get 10% off with discount code KINGSBOO10. We're also brought to you by Lucy.co. Lucy is an amazing company. Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? Uh, I love this stuff. And I've had a, a couple close friends turn me on to the pouches. My brother, Nate Smith, who I've been on uh, The Secret Hunts with, is a dude who first turned me on to the pouches, and they're exceptional. They pop, they hit hard, they hit quick, and they create an altered state of consciousness, one that tunes you in, because nicotine is a nootropic. All nootropics are trying to create more acetylcholine in the brain. And as it turns out, Mother Nature made us something that does the exact same thing in nicotine. When you cut out all the chemicals and the nasty stuff, what you're left with is an amazing product that can tune you in that has a short window. And this is really important. Uh, when Rob Wolf was talking to the Navy, he, he was, it was brought to his attention that quite a few of them used nicotine. What was the best route of administration and what were the problems associated with it? And when he really dove into nicotine in and of itself, he found that there weren't many problems there aside from its addictive qualities, which I'll dive into in the disclaimer. That aside... If you had a choice and going on a mission at 2 or 3 a.m. in the morning and you chose Red Bull, you'd be up for four or five hours minimum. But if you chose nicotine, it would tune you in for about 45 to 60 minutes and then wear off quickly and you could fall back asleep after returning from the mission. This is important for us. Most of us civilians are not going on missions, but if you want to read late at night and you need a little extra pep, sometimes the only time I have to read in the day is right before bed. So nine o'clock rolls around, I'll pop in uh, a pouch of lucy.co, and then I'll get my reading on for an hour. And when I take it out, I'm ready to fall asleep right at 10 o'clock. Check it all out at lucy.co, that is L-U-C-Y dot C-O, and use KKP at checkout to make sure I get credit, you get the discount. That is lucy.co, and remember to use that promo code KKP. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. All right, y'all, last but not least, I want to tell you about Organifi. I've been loving these guys since the jump. I absolutely love them. I just placed a fat-ass order because I realized we had burnt through everything in the apocalypse pantry. And if shit hits the fan, I do want to have Organifi on hand. Let's be honest. I mean, it is, it is convenient and awesome right now in the day-to-day. It would be that much more convenient and awesome if grocery stores closed. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but I, having kids, I want to make sure that, that we cover all bases. So I did just place a nice a rather large order. And uh, I'm excited about that. I want to talk to you guys today about the liver. The liver is responsible for essential functions in the body, including flushing toxins and harnessing nutrients. Liver Reset contains a potent blend promoting detoxification, processing vitamins and minerals while removing excess toxins, bile production, improving digestion and turning fats into essential fatty acids, and energy, transforming food into more readily available forms of energy. This is super important. Many of you heard me talk about the benefits of eating liver, and, and that's counterintuitive to the way old people used to think. They'd be like, oh, the liver, the liver uh, that's responsible for detox. That's where, you know, that's the nastiest part of the body to eat. Wrong again, Bobby. 
Eating liver and eating kidney is actually super beneficial, and there's a ton of micronutrients in there. But how do we support our liver? There's Native American wisdom that shows like eats like, and if we eat liver, that will support it, and I do agree with that. And at the same time, there are plant-based protocols that really can help the liver. And the liver is one of the things that, that can take a beating and keep on going. It's one of the only organs in the body that's self-generating. And at the same time, it could use a little extra support. And so at least once or twice a year, I like to run a liver detox. And I think that this convenient reset is one of the most important things that we can do to really maximize our ability to detox on a regular basis. Milk thistle is a potent antioxidant used for its natural healing properties for over 200 for over 2,000 years as a natural liver protector. There's artichoke leaf. This is a clinical study. This, is, this clinically studied extract is rich in antioxidants and a Mediterranean native with a long history of medicinal purposes. Trifala, this Ayurvedic and cleansing herbal blend, comprises three fruits combined to support healthy digestion and liver function. It's also great for gut support. And then dandelion root, a highly nutritious and medicinal plant that's loaded with vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and antimicrobial properties that support liver and kidney function. Um, it is also a natural diuretic. I used to take uh, dandelion root when I would have to cut water weight for fights, and that is exceptional if we're feeling a little bloated or it flows in town and we want to lose a little of that extra excess water weight. Dandelion root can help naturally return us to and restore us to balance. Check it all out. These are the adaptogens uh, that support liver health over at Organifi.com slash KKP and enter code word KKP at checkout and check out the liver reset. It is awesome. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash KKP. And don't forget the code KKP at checkout for 20% off everything in the store. And without further ado, my brother, Michael from HVMN. Boy, actually I got, well... Who knows what's going to happen with, with Elon here? I still can't tell if he's a good guy or a, <laughs> somebody we should be watching out for. Um, but his purchase of Twitter, if it is about free speech, that will change the game. Yeah. You know? So yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, I do have a good friend of mine who's been on the podcast, Justin Rezvani, who started a company called Zion, mm-hmm. which is um, a utility platform, not just social media, but basically everything, a way to text uh, a way to engage in groups like you would on social media, post videos, podcasts. My podcast is available there. Okay. And that's built on blockchain. It's on the Lightning Network. Nice. So you basically run a node and no one can ever take that from you. Right. That was one of the original visions of Twitter. That was one of Jack Dorsey's original visions of Twitter was that it's a protocol and then different services can build on top of it. So you can have the service that's censored this way or that's editorialized this way or that way, but it was meant to be like, like HTTP, like websites. Anyone can put up a website. Google will filter what they decide to show you or not, but anyone can have a website. And if you don't like Google, you can go to DuckDuckGo or whatever. You can go to mm-hmm. alternatives. Twitter, that was the vision of Twitter. And it sounds like Jack and Elon are like vibing. They're trying to, yeah, yeah. So I've heard them say that they're going to do that. One of the first big changes is to open source everything they've done. Right, which is massive. Yeah. Right? That would change Zion and anyone else. You know, and, and Zion itself is open source. So you allow you know, cross-pollination and harmony between companies to yeah. actually take place. And then like that, for the first one to do that, if they actually do it, like, yeah, like I'm, I'm a fan of that. I will, you, can, you can have, I will be back online yeah. uh, utilizing that. Bottoms up, hey, brother. Cheers. Oh, 
Oh, baby. It is better than the originals. Yeah, we did a lot of work on it. Let's let's talk. So, Michael, usually I get uh, some background on people. What was life like growing up? What got you into the game that you're into now? Let's start there and then let's dive right into HVMN because that is why I brought you on. It's it's and I have no issue with that. There's there are companies that I find on occasion, not always, but there are companies that I find where I'm like, this is one of the fucking gifts to humanity. Like one of the best things in modern science. And we can I can bridge the gap on why I believe that. Uh, I've been a fan of HVMN for years, but let's talk about you first and let's bridge the gap into there. Thanks, man. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Appreciate that. It's high praise. I've hired some amazing people around us. My co-founder and I, we've built an incredible team. So first and foremost, shouts out to them. My co-founder and I, I think, are really smart. And everyone we've hired is smarter than us. And we're just building. You know how it is with the group you got here. It takes a village. It's everything. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So begin at the beginning. I'm from Chicago. Went to public school in Chicago. Was a very interesting dynamic high school where there are all sorts of types of people there got held up at gunpoint at one point got Damn. yeah got some crazy stuff that happened but I was in the like honors IB program so had the good what f- was your graduating class so high school how, how, how big no what well what was the when was the year when oh, was the oh I graduated class? high school in 2007 okay and oh, cool. Just trying to do the math. So you look a little bit younger, but you still don't, hey. don't look that young. You just look healthy. <laughs> yeah, I stay active. I think I think that's so. I'm 33, and I think there's something interesting that happens at age 30 where there's a fork in the road where some people start looking 45, and some people stay looking 30 for the next couple of decades. And it, a lot of it has to do with how well you've been taking care of yourself in your 20s and into your 30s. So yeah, you got to take care of yourself. No you doubt. Got one body. So high school was cool. I had a good fortune to get into Stanford where I went for undergrad. I studied computer science. That's where I met my co-founder, one of the smartest people at all of Stanford, Jeff Wu, he's a G. Uh, and we both had this passion for human performance optimization. We're all, all, we were always hardcore engineers, computer science guys. And we started applying our engineering hat, our engineering systems first thinking to the human body. It's like, okay, how do I be better at what I do? How do I have better cognitive output, better physical output? And we started asking a lot of questions. I personally got into marathon running. So I six minute miles for the marathon. I get after it. Any given marathon I run, I'll be in the top 1%. So not winning the Olympics, gold medal, whatever, but I'm up there. Like I'm, I'm faster than your average bear. And what's cool is I got fast, fast, like within a few years, I got very fast because I was measuring my blood glucose. I was measuring my heart rate. I do things like I'll go on a run and I'll run as fast as I can without letting my heart rate go above a certain level, without letting mm. my heart rate go above 140. So it's this exercise of like trying to go fast, but also trying to keep calm. Yeah. And so it's this duality to it. That's important. I have had a, um, Rob Wilson and Brian McKenzie on the podcast who are, are big on, on rate limiting factors like that, you know, and Dr. Andy Galpin, one of the things that they mention is like, if you only allow yourself to breathe through your nose right. the entire run, yep. that's yep. a rate limiting factor. Yep. But for, for somebody like you, you may still be able to crack 140, right? Depending on your cardio and, and various other skills. For me, it was like, fuck man, I'm pushing, <laughs> you know, I'll do a 10 K row on the concept two rower, you know, and not, not try to crush it, but somewhere in the 45, 48 minute mark. And nasal only. And like, that's, that's a, an amazing workout, right? Yeah. To have that rate limiting factor. 
Yeah, another good rate limiting factor is I'll do a lot of runs barefoot because you can't run that fast. Like Nikes, they work. Like they protect your foot, they cushion your foot. They also hide a lot of information from your foot. Like your foot has 20,000 nerve endings in it and you're not feeling any of that when you're wearing your Nikes, your Adidas, your Hoka's, whatever. I do a lot of runs barefoot because it forces you to slow down and it forces your feet to go faster because you don't want to take these big galomping steps which isn't even good form anyway. Yeah, it changes and when you, the gait. When you do it, when you do it barefoot, it changes the gait. Yeah, it makes your, it forces you to slow down and run correctly. And then when you strap on the Nikes on race day, you're zipping. So do you run? Do you run in Vibrams or actually sole to the ground? Uh, I run mainly in Vibrams because okay. I've mainly lived in like cities and yeah, stuff. And it's like yeah. you live in LA, like you got to be a little careful. But every time I'm, I have a chance. If I'm on the beach or out. On a nice trail, I'll just go actual barefoot. But yeah, it's like running from my house to the. Even sand can fuck you up sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I, we we I, I grew up in California and would run a lot on the beach there, mostly sprint work, things like that. Yeah. But get, my wife is was a distance runner at NAU. She ran cross country there, and uh, she got me into distance running at the tail end of my fight career and after. And since I've I've done you know a, a couple half marathons, a few ten k's. I did one ultra. Nice. In Zion, which, which was brutal. Nice. I fucked must me been, up for months. Must have been beautiful though. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. It was scenic. That's, I think, yeah. what carried me through there. But yeah, I think about that. Like if we do a distance run on sand, sometimes like that's enough to, to destroy your feet, you know? So yeah, yeah Vibrams, Vibrams are phenomenal. They're a great tool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I like a lot, of, a lot of things like that. I'll do fasted runs. Again, it's a rate limiter. You're not going to set a PR if you're fasted, but you're going to get a lot of metabolic flexibility out of it. So I like, what you, I like the way you put it. Like do different rate limiting things, like running with weights on, so to speak. But there's a few different ways to do that that make your body better at these different measures. So then on race day, when you stack it all up, you're well-fed, not fasted. You're wearing the nice shoes. You're you're. Uh, letting your heart rate go, you know, as high as it needs to go to win, to run as fast as you can, right? Like you give yourself every advantage on race day, but because of how you've trained over the preceding months, you just rip in. Yeah. It's like sleeping at altitude, training at sea level. That yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I've always been, my co-founder and I have always been very, you could call it biohacker, engineering, whatever you want to call it, we've been highly quantitative about our approach to performance optimization. And we were really early, we had, uh, we had a nootropics brand called Nutrobox that was pretty popular. And when the keto diet and Bulletproof, all that started really taking off like five, six years ago, it was interesting to us that everyone's have, taking their coffee and they're loading it up with MCTs and grass-fed butter and everyone's trying to do the keto diet, ketosis, ketosis. And it's like, okay, if ketones are so cool, we ask the dumb slash smart question of, okay, if ketones are so cool, why can't you walk to the store and buy a ketone? You can buy collagen, you can buy whey protein, you can buy CBD, you can buy omega-3, right? There's all these other nutritional primitives that you can go and buy. And we asked that question, we started pulling that thread of why can't you buy a ketone? And it, that led to some really interesting places where we, we saw that DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, they had in the early 2000s done some early work with the NIH around ketones, like they'd figured out some of the basic science around ketones and basic ways to manufacture it. It was extremely expensive. It was like $20,000 a dose. We're sitting here sipping it. It's $4 a dose. Now it was $20,000 a dose back then. And we, we started looking at it and 
we made the jump and we raised, we raised capital and we launched the world's first ketone drink in 2017. And our first big customer on that was the US DOD, Special Operations Command. We got a $6 million contract with SOCOM. We had General Peter Pace joined our, he's a, he's a senior advisor to the company. So no big know. deal, small company. You probably haven't heard of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was, former, he, was, he was the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, highest ranking military officer, period reported to Bush and then Obama because you remember the president is not, they run the military, but they're a civilian. Mm-hmm. So the highest ranking military officer in the country is the chair of the joint chiefs of staff. So Peter Pace is now an advisor. He's helped us navigate that. We also have, uh, we have Admiral, retired Admiral Alex Krongard. He started SEAL Team 7, did a lot of work out at Coronado, just a great guy. Uh, I, he knows Jocko because Jocko actually trained under under him. Alex is, was a senior to him. So plugged into that military space. It's been really interesting to see how that program in the early 2000s was called Operation Metabolic Dominance. Pretty badass. Hope that's the name of our movie when this all comes out. Netflix special. Uh, it's been cool to see how that's extended out where it started as this like concept in a lab in the early 2000s. We were the first to productize it, make it at scale, make you know, hundreds of thousands of units of it, make it at a somewhat affordable scale. Our V1 in 2017 was still very expensive and crazy tasting. It was like $30 a dose and tasted, tasted like gasoline. And Peter Atia called it jet fuel. Yeah, rocket yeah. Rocket fuel. Yeah, yeah. That's like, yeah. That, that's, that's, it's pretty on point. Yeah. You know? <laughs> tasted like it works. We, you know, we would call it Navy SEAL juice. And our whole mission always was to make it even more accessible. Like it's very cool that Navy SEALs and Tour de France riders and elite elite people are using it. That was awesome. And it was this proof of concept of, okay, let's keep pushing this. Let's make this everywhere. Like if you can buy collagen at any store in America, why can't you get ketones? Like that, let's not have it just be for these elite performers. Let's have it be for everyone because the same reason that it helps a Navy SEAL in hypoxia, it also helps everyday people. We're all doing metabolism all the time. So if you're able to get this advent, this advantage in this physically, cognitively demanding mission when you're a peak performance person, well, it can also help you if you're sitting at your desk and you're just trying to get in a flow state, get in a flow state and work on some work. It can also help you if you're trying to set a PR in a marathon. It can also help you to recover better from a hard workout. Like we're all doing metabolism all the time. So we we always saw that these the elite performers is a kind of test bed of of proof of a concept. And okay, let's expand it out. And so we're at this interesting spot where in January of this year, we launched V2 and brought down the price a bunch, made it taste way better. And we're in like Sprouts and just pushing it in all these grocery stores. You can buy it on Amazon. So rocking and roaring. That's dope, yeah. man. I remember going to Sprouts uh, and they have like a 25% off line drive. They, they open, I'm from, I went to, well, I'm from the Bay Area, but um, spent seven years in Arizona going to ASU and, and dicking off afterwards. And uh, that's where Sprouts was born. And then when yep. I moved back to the Bay in Sunnyvale, which is kind of a small town, in my mind, it was a small town, 120,000 people uh, outside of San Jose, the first Sprouts in California was there. And I was like, right. oh, this is sick. And they do like a 25% line drive where every supplement they sell, and they had the best, they had on it products, all sorts of cool shit, 25% off everything. So yeah. I'd wait until that line drive about twice a year and just buy thousands of dollars worth of supplements. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Sprouts is clever. Like they, they figured out the game in a lot of ways. A lot of people think they're the next Whole Foods because Whole Foods got acquired by Amazon and they're mm-hmm. going more like 
<laughs> norm exactly. core like they're deep state now yeah <laughs> it all yeah and whereas whereas sprouts i think has this opportunity in the market to be the like the new the new spot for like the insiders yeah yeah the new down to earth yeah the 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 thing you mentioned around elite level performance you know like what we extrapolate from that and then how that bridges back to the masses is something that i've always looked at myself because i'm not i knew i wasn't going to be a pro athlete my whole life and uh, even before becoming a pro athlete, it was like, well, what are they doing, right? Like, what are they doing that I'm not doing? And that always continued, you know, the search. Um, but in, as a coach now and working with a lot of people in fit for service and different things like that, I'm always trying to, to retrace my steps because right now it's, you know, and for you, it's so easy to eat clean. It's so easy to put what's, what's healthy for me in my body. I've, I've, I have a love for delicious, healthy food, you know, like we had... Last, and it's funny, I got the CGM on, you know, I, yeah, I wore this thing that. back in the day. I want to break down a lot of cool shit that I've discovered with it this go around. But um, how does somebody get into ketosis without shitting their pants, right? Like I've fucking lost so many pairs of shorts from overdoing the MCTs. They go like right. disaster pants. Like it, it's comical and also embarrassing to a certain extent. Like I've called my wife a mile from the house, walking the kids and I'm like, you got to pick me up now. You know? And she's like, why? And I'm like, and she's like, Oh, okay. Cause she knows. Yeah, right? yeah. She it's just funny. knows. It's not that one of the kids shit their pants. It's the dad shit. The <laughs> pants. I had to drive home. She's like, put a towel down. I'm like, I'm lifting my ass off the seat. You know, it, at each other. it's funny, man. Cause it's like, why is it so hard to get into ketosis? Ancient humans were in ketosis all the time. 200,000 years ago on the Savannah, you were walking around without even like trying to do a workout. You're just walking around four, five, six miles a day. There's no, there's no frosted flakes. There's no peach rings, whatever. There's no, no refrigeration. Yeah there's, yeah. there's none of that stuff on the Savannah. Like, I think there was a little bit of carbs here and there. There's maybe some berries and some grain, but you didn't have like big gulp. You didn't have like this <laughs> modern context of all this processed stuff. You go into a 7-Eleven and 90% of what's in there is like, not good for you, highly processed carbs. And that just didn't exist. So ancient humans spent way more time in ketosis. And now in the modern context, we're trying to pendulum swing back out. And it's this, it's this challenge. It's like, we have to work hard to get into ketosis. But I would say it's interesting here, we're talking about ketones and this, like, this hyper-modern thing, but in a way it's the most ancient form of fuel. Like we're more designed to run off of ketones than we are off of carbs. In the modern context, it sounds weird when 88% of people have metabolic health issues and all these metabolic health issues are major comorbidities of COVID if we want to go there. But like, there's, there's this massive issue in the modern dietary context and we're trying to return to ketosis, but it's, it's the spot where humans were meant to be and it didn't used to be hard to get there. Yeah, we We're just fasting, endurance hunting, like we're... Our, our brains, like the whole reason we even evolved the ability to make a ketone is because we have these big brains and you can power your brain with glucose. You can't power it with fat. Fat does not cross the blood brain barrier. So we evolved the ability to make ketones from fat so that our, we have the largest brain ratio of any animal on the planet. And in order to power these big brains, when you don't have glucose present, you got to make ketones. So like, ketones are the most natural thing ever. It's interesting when people ask me what's a ketone, it's like, I'm always, I'm always straddling like, okay, is it this like hyper-modern thing that we invented? Yes. But it's also this ancient thing that has always existed. I would say that this is like a tool on top of 
that ancient lifestyle. Like we should eat low carb. You should move around a lot. You should have, do intermittent fasting, have a feeding window, do routine extended fast, and then having ketones to be able to drink is a, a tool in the toolkit among all those other things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was alluding to is that like, you know, since, since I, I've, you know, I've talked to Dr. Dominic Agostino, Dr. Peter Tia, many people in the game, you know, they, yeah. the, the guys that first got me into this, listening to them on Tim Ferriss's podcast in 2014, right. As I was closing the door on fighting in the UFC and all the research around how it helped with cognitive function and brain repair and then endurance and other things as well. Um, but I haven't spent two years like really adamantly in it. And then I'd cycle off and come back to eating carbs. And, and just like, you know, Pete says, like, I love carbohydrates. That's yeah. why I'm not going to live in that space. Um, it, it, it's always curious because time moves faster as you age. And, you know, before you know it, it's like, oh man, it's been two years since I've done a fast. Right. And like, maybe I should start with some MCTs. Boom, shit my pants. When I take ketone esters, I don't shit myself. And I think it's, it, it applies to the usability, the lack of conversion necessary, and the fact that MCTs are from coconut, they're antimicrobial, and that does change the microbiome. Yeah. But, but you know, in gearing up, we're doing um, full temple reset part two, where we're going to do a five-day fasting mimicking diet and a whole host of other things here at the farm. Amazing. Uh, I've been running the ketone IQ, and it is... You know, in the reverse engineering of things, I think a lot about, you know, like the, the psychology uh, aspects from Dr. Andrew Huberman, where, you know, he's studying sleep, he's studying stress, and you can reverse engineer the, the nervous system from fight or flight to rest and digest through breath work alone, right? Yeah, so yeah. It's, Activate it's, that parasympathetic yeah, nervous system. It's, it's the thought process. You know, the, 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 the zebra doesn't think of the lion chasing it after the fact, right? But humans do. We repeat that thing yeah. and that lives on and that keeps us in the state of stress. Yeah. Um, but if you reverse engineer the breath to a longer exhale than an inhale, now the nervous system responds to your breathing, your conscious breathing. Right? Yeah. And so I think about that with something like uh, your ketones because I want to fast, but I'm also starving for food. I need something to feed the brain. I'm not keto adapted. I take a shot and all of a sudden I don't give a shit about food. And yeah. I haven't been in ketosis for months, right? And it's like, wow, it's so immediate. And then there is the gift, right? That is the bridge to people who have never done a ketogenic diet. That's the bridge to people yep. who've never tried any type of fasting, let alone a water fast, a dry fast, or any of these other high-level things that people are getting into now. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting talking about the parasympathetic nervous system because there was a study, this Belgian research group, Peter Hespel's group, they did a study on recovery for cyclists. So they did a three-week study where it was mimicking the Tour de France. So like hard riding every single day. And they had the experimental group was drinking ketones and the control group was not. And they showed in the over three weeks in the ketone group that there was increased activation of the parasympathetic nervous system and that certain stress hormones were suppressed when they were drinking ketones. And the net result of this study was that at the end of those three weeks, the ketone group had 15% higher training volume. They were able to train 15% more. And in the final time trial, they had 5% better performance. So basically, this ketone was increasing parasympathetic activity, suppressing sympathetic nervous system, and increasing rate of recovery. So, right, you want to be in that rest and recover mode. You want to be like that calm breathing. That's how you recover quicker. And ketones were helping people to do that. Exactly. So it's, it's pretty awesome. interesting. And I, I think I, I want to like make sure it's not this like magic molecule. It's like, it's in conjunction with all those other things too. Like you want to, like, yeah, like ketones alone 
did deliver those results. But if you're really going for peak performance, you also want to do the the breathing and breath work, and you want to do the like cold plunges. You want to do the other the other activities to also activate your parasympathetic Yeah, they had their, all the ducks in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking about um, this CGM that I've had on. You know, the I, we had, uh, this is a NutriSense CGM. There's a few good ones now. Levels is another good one. I love these guys at NutriSense, though. We had Dan Nakara on, uh, the CEO and the lead, lead um, RD from those guys. And you know, or this was early on in the pandemic. And that was one of the things that they were talking about was comorbidities. And they really hammered that. Like what they're seeing is that with metabolic flexibility, no one's dying. It was one of the first real inclinations to how important metabolic health was. Same thing, Dr. Paul Saladino, the carnivore doc came on, same exact science he was bringing up. And one of the really cool things is that, you know, even if you were severely overweight, like 100 pounds overweight, um, to get into metabolic flexibility did not take you losing 100 pounds. It just took you starting to practice some of these yeah, lifestyle yeah. principles, right? And that could be achieved in a matter of weeks, not in a matter of years. Yeah, because how do we define metabolic flexibility? It's that your body gets better at creating ketones and also gets better at, di- at utilizing ketones, metabolizing ketones. And you can show it. There's enzymes that increase when, you get, when you're spending more time in ketosis you have more of the enzymes that transport ketones into your mitochondria and more of the enzymes that help to fully metabolize a ketone. And you're right, it's, it's not that you have to completely lose that 100 pounds. It's that after a few weeks of having elevated ketone levels that your body builds up those enzymes. Your body knows what to do when there's ketones present. The issue is that most people never have ketones present. You can live to be 30, 40, 50 years old and spend almost no time with elevated ketones, which is really weird in the context of human evolution. But as soon as you start elevating your ketone levels, your body knows what to do. It's, it's not an overnight thing, as you said. It's going to take a few weeks for your body to build up that ability to, to metabolize them, but it's in our genetics. Like We will know what to do. Our, our body knows what to do, and then you start feeling great, and then you, start, you ha- start having less appetite. You start having more regulated energy levels throughout the day, Like all these wonderful things that happen from it. Yeah, I think I was 32 was the first time that I had ever done a form of fasting or any form of ketosis. For 32 years, I never missed a meal. For 32 years, I had carbohydrates at every single meal, right? And like, that's just not, that's not natural, whether you're into paleo diet or any of these other things. Like, it's not natural for anybody that wasn't born on the equator. Like, if you're born in the Amazon and all food is present, cool, Uh, or in the Garden of Eden, maybe. But north and south of that, you've got big game. Yeah. You've got cold winters and there's no carbohydrates available during those times of year. So yeah. it's just natural if you're not shipping bananas from Panama in around the clock that you would go without that for at least a few months a year. Exactly. Right? Cereal was invented like Kellogg, whatever his guy's name was, Joe Kellogg. Like he, they invent, he invented cereal like a hundred years ago. It's not like this thing that's existed. Humans have been around for 300,000 years and cereal was invented hundred years ago. And, and he was a fucking weird dude. Yeah. Too. Yeah. You know about <laughs> this, the conspiracy theory around it, but I don't even think it's conspiracy. It's that he was intentionally doing it to like sedate the population. Cause he's like, if we feed everyone, he was kind of religious and he wanted he to no masturbating. He yep. wanted to kill people's libido. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and cure hysteria in women, which was, you know, to be hysteria originally was you know, a woman that, that was irrational due to the need for orgasm or manual stimulation. And they were really against masturbating. Um, and interesting enough, like the first, I think Hamilton Beach 
like the blender company uh, was the first, you know, device that women could use as a vibrator to self, to self, to self uh, stimulate. I if bet you want they to call it that. And, um, but before that, prior to that, it was the doctor who would see a woman for hysteria and manually release her. So they had a monopoly on female orgasms. Like consider how fucking weird the framework of society was at that point in time in order for a woman who never has orgasms, who man, man doesn't give a fuck about pleasing her. She has to go see the doctor to release the hysteria. That's so that's so crazy how we we want to make everything into like a disease or disorder or condition. It's it's like the same thing going on right now with ADD, ADHD, restless leg syndrome. Like everyone wants to pathologize <laughs> everything and it's in, it, like we can we can laugh at it in context. Like it's really weird that just having a normal female sex drive was pathologized. That's insane. I think we're certain parts of society are doing the same thing again now, where it's just like being a curious kid. Like I, when I was in public school growing up in Chicago, I would get yelled at all the time because I would like stand at my desk and want to socialize with other kids. It's insane to think about it. It's like, it didn't fit the mold for me to like sit in a seat in a cube for eight hours a day and like not ask questions and not interact. I didn't, you know, I didn't get pathologized. Well, my teachers gave me a lot of bad marks on it. I, I, if ADD was like a bigger thing back then, I probably would have gotten diagnosed with that, which is insane. It's just like, you know, let, let kids go play. I just, I just had a daughter just turned three months old. Congratulations, brother. Thanks, man. It's an amazing, amazing journey so far. And I'm thinking a lot about this. Like, I, I don't want her to sit in a block. Like, I think kids are supposed to stand and walk and talk and be on a farm and go do stuff. And of course, if you try to force people into this mold of don't talk, don't orgasm, don't do it. As soon as people try to express their fundamental human urges and it goes against the grain, then, then the system is going to try to pathologize it and say, you are bad, you are wrong, you need this drug, you need to go to special weird doctor to have your orgasm, you need ADD medication. It's like, I, what do you think is even the, the drive of, human culture to do that. It's like people want to control each other. Like people want to put each other into boxes. Yeah, I mean, the, the, on one hand, you could say we're just missing the mark on the other hand of that spectrum. You could say that school is designed to indoctrinate and, and, and maybe not for a nefarious purpose, but just for the purpose of fitting into becoming cogs in the wheel of a consumerist society. Um, I don't think that's super far off. Ivan Illich, who wrote Deschooling Society, even paints a broader perspective of how you could universalize classism. And he talks about the caste system in India and how, you know, repulsive that is outside of the country and how it's looked at differently within the country. But he really breaks down that when you make standards for everybody and you you grade people at certain um, uh, milestones based on where they're at and you force them to learn in one particular way, then you can withhold others, right? So this happened with the Native Americans here uh, in, in North America, where um, they would hold them, they'd make them go to school through 12th grade, but they would only teach them the third grade level of education, of education from grades three through 12. They would repeat third grade, right? This is in um, John Fire Lame Deer's book, Lame Deer's Seeker Visions. Uh, how he had to repeat for nine fucking years, the third grade, right? So you get out as a Native American and you go to get a job, and he's like, yeah, I went to school. Cool. What was the highest level you finished? Third grade. 
oh, sorry, you can't work here, or you can only work in the mailroom, or you can only mop floors. Uh, in South America, they did the same thing with um, indigenous cultures from the Andes. They would give them a fifth grade education. They'd go down to Lima, which is like Los Angeles in Peru, and they'd go for the jobs and, oh no, you need a 12th grade education at least to get even to get into university, right? So it was a way they could hold back certain pieces. Um, and that is a little bit more nefarious, but at the very least, you could just say, it isn't working, right? It's not working. Rudolf Steiner understood this 100 plus years ago. You know, and he talked about like, what do, what do kids actually need? And I had um, Dr. Thomas Cowan on the podcast who brilliantly stated, he was like, hey, if Steph Curry uh, tweeted he was going to do a basketball seminar at Oracle Arena, how many people do you think would show up? I'm like, fucking everyone and their mom, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, do you think there'd be any disciplinary issues? And I was like, hell no, there's 100% buy-in. And he goes, okay, if there was, what do you think would happen? I was like, I don't know. And he's like, they'd probably beat the kid's ass, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, so it's self-policing. Right. You're either there because you want to be there. Nobody's going to be disruptive in that scenario because they have 100% buy-in. Yeah. And as it turns out, if you wait long enough for kids to want to learn and to let them self-direct to the things they're passionate about, they can learn very quickly. And he gave an example of a lady who had taught at Waldorf for 30 years. She retired during the pandemic because of all the CDC nonsense uh, really going flying in the face of what Steiner taught about the human's, human body's innate ability to heal itself, forgetting natural immunity, you know, and just dove deep where she, she worked with four kids between the ages of 10 and 12. They were unschooled, meaning between the ages of 10 and 12, all four of them did not know how to read or write between the ages of 10 and 12. And within two years of working with her in the subjects they wanted, all of them not only were fluent in reading and writing, they were taking college-level courses within two years with the things they were passionate about. They went from no reading, no writing, to college in two years, right? That's and sick. it's four that's fucking sick. different kids yeah. from different families, right? Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. that's one example of an N equals four, but it doesn't matter. The point is that you can repeat that, and it has been. And um, we're going to see big shifts, right? And, yeah. and similar to... You know, you look back on Kellogg and, and the craziness of that. A hundred years yeah. from now, they're going to be like, what the fuck were they doing in 2022? Yeah. You know? Yeah. What were they doing? Locking these kids into schools? What are they doing? My mom always had this philosophy, which was like, she never forced me to learn how to read. This is what you're, similar to what you're saying. Which she, she wanted it to come from me. So I learned how to read like somewhat late, like first grade. I don't know that's late. Some kids learn to read when they're, when they're younger and her philosophy was always like, don't force a kid anything. Like, don't force it down their throat. L- let them want to read. And I don't know, I think I'm a pretty good reader now. <laughs> like, <laughs> you did Stanford. Did, no did right? it's, like, it's, like, it's like having it want to come from the, the student. And I think it's, it's interesting how, mu- how much we work against it. I think, it's, uh, I think it's a control thing. I think it comes a lot from... I think that the the power class in a given society always wants to keep a walled garden around it, and then they institute some tight structure around what everyone else is and like who's allowed, and like so that very few people can like cross the garden. I think America has done the best. The American experiment is the, is the best of a meritocracy. I don't think we have it perfect yet until you compare it to every other country. Yeah. And then I think we are the best, but I think we still have work to do as far as making it true meritocracy, making it truly where 
everyone has a chance. And I think, I, I think you're right. It's like when you force certain classes of people to be in this very lockstep, rigid program where they're held back, it's not really fair. It's, it's not quite the caste system, but it's not quite a total meritocracy. So I think education has got to change a lot. I'm really excited by the innovation that's going on there. I know that the, like Elon Musk had that school inside of SpaceX or was it Tesla uh, that spun out and now it's its own school. It's called um, Synthesis School. Have you heard about this? Mm-hmm. Where it's basically taking this whole, whole philosophy and trying to do it at scale and letting kids, because this is for like, if you work at Tesla and you want your kids to have daycare and, and uh, education, that they provided that as a perk to the to the That's people that super worked cool. there. And then and then the guy the guy who ran that spun it out as its own company and now they're they're trying to scale it. So basically take it's similar to you know a Waldorf or Montessori but with like tech enabled so that it can potentially scale to to much larger. So I think education is probably the spine of society. If I had to think of one thing that can change outcomes and can make a country go ahead or fall behind, it's education. Like that's just at the root of everything. And it's going to be super interesting to see how that unfolds in the next I mean, 100 years. I don't know if we'll be around. Hopefully we'll be around in 100 years. I think, I think we're, we're here to make the big changes. You know, like uh, in the last couple of years in particular, I've looked at a lot of the things crumbling and the cracks, and, and we've all seen this. The exposure, right? The exposure of the cracks in the game, the thin sliver that society's held with. And um, we're going to see more exposure and more cracks in the game before it gets better. But at the same time, uh, instead of dwelling on the failures of education, the failures of finance, the failures of farming, the failures of X, Y, and Z, how do we do it better? Yeah. You know, and then, and then in that way, can we be the proof in the pudding? You know, yeah. so like, I've got kids, you've got, you're a dad now. Fuck yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to sign up for that. I'm going to run the human experiment di- differently. Yeah. Yeah. Know? So how are you thinking about things for your kids? You got this farm. You got, They're already yeah. going to be, you know, nature education is a big one. And, um, there's, uh, there's a class at McKinney Falls, which is a really cool Texas state park not far from us. And um, we've got uh, a bear who's seven years old now and um, a couple of girls that are six and nine that are all going to be a part of the older kids class there one day a week. And they teach you basic survival skills, stuff like that, but they're outdoors. Nice. Um, working with Chad Johnson, who I had on the podcast here and building this food forest out and really getting you know, sovereign with what we put on our body. Yeah, it's a biodynamic yeah. farm following in Steiner's footsteps. Um, he's done a lot of educational work in the past. You know, I've heard great things about this Chad Johnson. Awesome, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, understanding that and, you know, Sepp Holzer was one of his mentors. Sepp's, uh, just an OG in the game of regenerative. Um, we have a lot of opportunity here to do something big with that and not just have it for ourselves, but seed that out, let those ripples expand, not just with our food, going to food banks and things of that nature, but also through education and giving people an opportunity to, to fall in love with nature. You know, yeah. like this is the game board we all share. Yeah, uh, it's something I love. You know, I mentioned Paul Check before when we were walking around. He's one of my heroes, and one of the analogies that he uses is like if you if you are a scientific materialist that thinks that everything here is just gifted for our taking, it's like it will run out. There are yeah. certain things that are going to run out. We can the the fundamental thing we must all agree upon is that we share the same game board. That's it, right? Whether yeah. you call Earth Gaia or 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 not, you know, th- this is it's the same game board, and we got to take care of that first. And I think um, 
there is some real science on how we go about that. And then there's also some politicized science on, on what's yeah. going to happen there within 50 years and things of that nature. And I think that more and more, the cream rises to the top and we begin to see like where, where are the ways that we can benefit each other and benefit the earth in simultaneous fashion quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because what you're describing, I don't think it maps to any political party that's, that exists right now where it's like, it's like self-sovereignty and caring for the earth and like sharing and leaving resources for other people. And I, I wonder how that's going to disrupt things going forward where it's, I, 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 we're at all time highs of people every, on both sides be feeling disconnected from the political system. And what you just articulated, it's like, who's, who's speaking that way that's running for president. You got to run for president. Or something. I don't, you gotta. <laughs> I've got so much shit yeah, on me yeah, from yeah. ASU. Yeah. We, were, we were number one party school in the nation. I wouldn't even make it to fucking mayor. No, <laughs> no chance of that. It's just interesting. I think you said it well. Is like like lead lead it from do nothing to it but to do it. Like yeah. do it yourself in the in the scale that you have here, and it'll continue to grow and educate. I'm inspired being here. Like it's it's cool. Like it's like you're showing that it's possible. It's it's exciting. Yeah. And one of you know one of the main things we did here in particular because I'm coming from a tenth of an acre in Austin. You know, like we have the tiniest backyard. Yeah. It's in a typical suburb, new build, and um, you know our backyard is fucking gorgeous. I would I would be hard pressed to find anyone in that 400 home neighborhood has a better backyard than ours. And all it took was like three grand. You know, we put in bunch bamboo that only extends three feet in each direction. That's like our living wall that offers us privacy on yeah. a really small lot with other two-story homes. Yeah. We've got banana trees that self-plant themselves and they look incredible. Like you feel like you're in the jungle. Um, I got a buddy of mine who illegally keeps bees in his backyard, you know, so we put in these <laughs> illegally tall wildflower HOA, right? Okay, okay. And another <laughs> couple of buddies that have their own chickens, you know, we're raising 38 chicks right now yeah. in our house and backyard that we're going to bring out here. We'll yeah. do turkeys next, then we'll do ducks. Um, to do it at each scale is totally doable. You know, it's really not hard. And one of the cool techniques Chad talked about is if you have grass or weeds or things like that, you just lay cardboard over it. Then you throw your topsoil on top of that. The cardboard dissolves, but it, it kills off the grass and the weeds underneath. Yeah. So you can really create on whatever plot you have. If you wanted to do, you know, raised beds and things like that, you can do it very easily and efficiently. Yeah. And, and it'll actually work with what you have right now without, without needing to dig up grass and weed the garden and do all these other things. So there, yeah. there's little hacks like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So what, what else is your advice to someone who's getting started who's, who's like, okay, I got, I want to I start, I want to start small. I want to get a quick win. I want to in the next I don't know, three months or six months or what's a good timeline. I want to see some progress in my garden before I go and buy the 40 acre ranch and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get after it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for, it depends where you live, right? Are you still in California? Yeah. Yeah. I you live in grow, LA. I have like a decent yard. For, grow, it's probably like your yard yeah, in Austin. Yeah. You can probably grow anything there. When I was in NorCal, I grew all sorts of different stuff in California. So you look at the agricultural zone, Yeah, you go to a local nursery that's got organic produce and you just see like what does really well here and, yeah. and um, you know, buy the high end soil. Like we get Fox Farm Organics and a company called Microlife. You can order on Amazon too, these big ass 50 pound bags that inoculate the ground with mycorrhizal fungi and literally turn it into a living system that can connect to all the trees and nice. start that carbon transfer. Nice. And, um, and, and it's just about what are the things you love? Yeah. Like we love apples. So we put two apple trees in, we love uh, plums. We put a big ass plum tree in. all those are cold hardy. Cause we yeah. got hit really hard the last two years. Yeah. Um, 
So it's little things like that. And then, you know, in having it be easily managed, yeah. you take care of it. You know, like yeah, if yeah. I miss the exact window to put um, soil amendment down, but I'm a month late, big fucking deal. Like the micro life of these little organic pellets you put on that slowly release every watering. Yeah. And so there's little things like that that make it relatively easy. And then, um, you know, like with the, with the farm here, we're 118 acres, but we're only doing a nine acre farm. And you saw everything we have there, right? There's 400 plus fruit trees and nut trees in there. It's a lot. 60 plus grapevines, blackberries, raspberries. And we still have five acres to work with within that plot. And we'll do a pond for, for the birds because we want to have, you know, this cohesiveness. We're building an ecosystem, yeah. not just a place to, to grab food. You yeah. know, like we want, we want that to thrive. Uh, I found out from our bird man, Clint, who's awesome, that duck poop is incredibly good because it's, it's a cold manure, meaning it comes out and the plants can utilize it immediately. They can utilize the nitrogen from that poop. It doesn't take time for it to change its, its, um, its pH and everything else and be usable from the plants. It can just come right out and nice. they'll eat snails. You know, have you seen Biggest Little Farm? Yeah, yeah. It's so good, right? Yeah, yeah. So they get the snail problem from the cover crops. They bring in the ducks. The duck yeah, eat yeah. all the snails shit out the snails and then boom, you've got more, right? Yeah. That's such a good, that's such a good loop. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a fun game. It's almost like a board game where you're, you're like moving the pieces around, just optimizing the system. It's interesting what you said about a certain type of soil that what like connects, does it have some kind of fungi in it that like, yeah, the mycorrhizal fungi will connect it all. And then you can grow mushrooms anywhere. Uh, the legal kind, of of course, I think you can grow the illegal kind, as long as you don't pick them. (laughs) It's <laughs> so weird what these laws are, yeah, yeah. but, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to it. We're it's still like mycelium network. Yeah. That, like it's, yeah. they all got to talk to each other. Yeah, All the stamina cool. stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you want to create that and feed it and then give it the opportunity to thrive. And, and that's a lot of what's going to help break down hot manure. Yeah. You know, like if it's a living soil, then it's going to help break down earthworms. All these things are going to help break down that stuff further. And earthworm poop is great, right? All these things are great for it. So, I like thinking of things, you know, like if I add it to my life or my schedule, does it leave me with a net positive? Does it leave me more whole than when I started? Yeah. You know, and, and I can compare this to the partying days where I'd, I'd have a great night, but I had to pay for that on credit. Right. You know, right, like right. it was going to hurt me the next few days, yeah. the next two weeks, depending on how hard I went. Um, <laughs> next two weeks. How hard, <laughs> how hard we go? hard to the paint, buddy. <laughs> um, but, you know, in, in an ecosystem, and then when you build out that ecosystem, like you're, you're, you're planning for things and building into it, but just like in Biggest Little Farm, it's beyond yeah. what you have planned, Yeah, right? Like the, the 89 barn owls that show up there and the wolves that come back and all the different elements that come back to strengthen that thing as a whole. Yeah. The snakes that come in to eat the, the overpopulation of ground you know, uh, rodents, like right? Like everything starts to balance within seven years. Yeah. And I think of that, um, there's a great... Uh, I talked to my buddies at Rome Ranch I was telling you about out yeah. in Fredericksburg doing regenerative bison. And they had a soil expert come in that said, and forgive me, I know I've mentioned this a lot on the podcast, but they mentioned initially they thought it would take a decade to build 1% organic material back into the soil. And, you know, in a, in a Paul Stamets untouched forest, you know, where we've never farmed and it's, you know, he's hunting for, for uh, rare mushrooms at, that's going to have 8% organic material. Most European tilled places through, through modern farming, let alone glyphosate and all the other shit they're spraying, just for European tilling alone are down to 0.5% organic material, right? That's why we get soil erosion, landslides, yeah. that kind of stuff. They thought it was 10 years to raise it 1%. Through regenerative, it's, it's about 10 times faster than that. 
It's wow. 1% per year, right? They're already up between 3 and 4%. When we got this land, because it hasn't been farmed, we're, our average is between 28 and 3.5% organic material everywhere we, we, we did a study on. Yeah. Three different places on the land. So we're starting from a good place, right? Yeah. But even if you aren't, you can change that rapidly. Yeah. That's inspiring to know that it can correct quickly. As mm-hmm. like we were talking about in the human body, it's like when it, once you start getting more keto adapted, you can actually do it pretty quickly. Like your, your body can return to how it's meant to be. Like your, your nature, your plot of land can return to how it's meant to be. If you stop choking it from what it's meant to be. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. I want to give people some hacks, you know, I've, yeah, I've, yeah. Uh, I've had these guys on, you know, bucket list guys like Peter Atia and, and Dominic D'Agostino, but it's been a few years. Like yeah. what are some of your best mo- ways for people to hack this? And look, yeah. you know, they're, as I mentioned with Dominic D'Agostino, there's a group that say live in ketosis. There's a group that say, like Dominic D'Agostino will say, you know, modified ketosis, 60% fat, cyclic, um, use ketones, those kind of things. And he's got a different approach than most people. And there's other people, you know, like Mark Sisson, who's been on that say, you know, if you just do three weeks of keto every quarter or some form of fasting, like Atia does now once per quarter, that that will keep your metabolic flexibility throughout the year. Yeah. So talk a bit about these hacks and what are your, yeah. some of your favorites, right? Yeah, just hung out with Dom last weekend in Santa Barbara, the Metabolic Health Summit. Oh, cool. It's a, he, he brings all the experts in the metabolic health space together and we gave a talk there presenting our, some of our research data on our work with the USDOD, SOCOM. So it was, yeah, I just saw Dom. Good vibes, great guy. OG of the space for sure. Um, definitely inspired by him a lot. And I agree with the cyclical keto school of thought where I don't think that ancient humans were 24-7 keto because there were berries and grains and, and stuff like that. And there's some people in the modern context that love keto and I don't want to tell them not to do it. Like if you just love it and that's where your body feels amazing and you've been doing keto for four years and it's amazing. Okay, cool. Don't stop. Like do it. In my experience, that's like 10% of people. A lot of people do keto. They learn a lot about hidden sugars everywhere, moving around more to burn off excess blood glucose. They wear the continuous glucose monitor, really understand their metabolism. And then they go to a state of low carb or cyclical keto where they do that keto for a few weeks every quarter, or they make a point every week to spend some time in ketosis, whether that's through a fast or doing a fasted long workout on a couple days a week, spending more time in ketosis, that 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 seems to be matched to more of the the evolutionary context, where it's not necessarily full keto, not necessarily definitely not like standard American diet, but it's this like cyclical keto. And then even when you're not doing keto, you're still not like slamming the carbs all the time. You're still doing relatively low carb. That seems to be the sweet spot where a lot of people just feel really good where, hey, a little bit of carbs, it feels good. I enjoy it. I, I think fruits are good for you. Like I, I think some keto people, I think, I think keto has this branding image problem over the last decade where it's this like black or white thing. It's this like special underpants club of like, oh, you're either, <laughs> you're like keto or you're not. And I think that that's just not the right way to think about it. It's more of the spectrum like spend more time with elevated ketones. If you want to do full keto, some people, if you're on an aggressive weight loss plan, 
Keto, I think, works really well or for some epilepsy, people. Epilepsy, something like yeah. Yeah, it's if you're on doctor, totally different ball game. Absolutely, right, if you're on, people. if you're on doctor's orders and you're doing, you need to be in ketosis as a adjunct therapy for your cancer. Yeah, like I think that falls all into the like ten percent where yeah, if you if you need to do keto, you need to do keto. I think for a lot of people though, there's I want to open the aperture for spend more time with elevated ketones. It feels really good. Have that metabolic flexibility but you can also enjoy your life too. You can also have pizza on a Friday. Like you can, you can hang out and um, you know, carbs can be, can be really good for a workout. But the thing is you got to go work out. Like you got to go, like <laughs> you got to eat the carbs and then like burn them off, like use them for something. Like what you don't want to be doing is just like eating all this stuff and then, and then not doing anything with it. That's where your body, that's where your body just gets very confused. It's like, okay, I have just constant elevated blood glucose. Like my human ancestral body has no idea what to do with this. So I'm just, like my, you're just frying your metabolism. So that's what I think a lot of the experts have come to, like the Peter Atias and the um, Don D'Agostinos. That's what, that's what we advise to our community is do this like modified cyclical keto. It's really interesting on, like when we t- zoom in on the ketones per se, is that ketones themselves are a substrate. So they, they provide energy. Ketone has calories in it. And it makes them actually pretty special because the only other things that have calories are carbohydrates, proteins, and fat. When you look at the nutrition facts on any, on any food, those are the macronutrients. That's where your calories come from. Ketones are this fourth door, this fourth macronutrient where there's calories in it, but they're not one of the other three. And it's really interesting because it essentially stacks with any, anything else that you're doing from a like nootropics or coffee or people might be microdosing on certain things. Everything I just described, it increases brain activity and that increases brain energy demand and ketones as a source of energy to fuel that energy need stack really well because ketones cross the blood-brain barrier. They're super efficient. They feel really good. So it's like whatever your nootropic or microdose or whatever of choice, you're you're creating an increase in brain energy requirement. And when you have ketones on top of that, it's super interesting. And that's why people like to fast or they, they like to do the keto diet because like they'll feel really sharp and all they need is a cup of black coffee. And then just for some reason, that cup of black coffee just like hits different. And that is what something I've been wrapping my head around with, with a ketone is this, it's not like a lot of drugs have a very specific outcome. Like even caffeine, like a lot of drugs, they, they like are targeting one specific thing. Whereas a substrate, it's kind of like wherever your body needs it to be, the substrate gets pulled into it. It's almost like an adaptogen. Right. It's like, yeah. where do you need it? Where do you want it to go? It'll go. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. It's funny. You're talking microdosing. Cause I've been thinking about that. Like the, in, in- most of the, the, the biggest journeys that I've had with plant medicine have been from a fasted state. Yeah. Right. And those were like, wow, you know, like, uh, I I'm, I'm a fan. I mean, I love microdosing and I've, I've done different protocols from Stamets to, um, Dr. Jim Fadiman, who was also on Ferris's back in 2014. Great book, Psychedelic Explorer's Guide, great book on microdosing. Um, but some of like the, I am a fan of the heroic dose, you know, where it's like, buckle up, I'm not in control and I'm just going to fucking see what happens. Yeah. And when I fasted leading up to that, even from a fasting mimicking standpoint, uh, I've always, I've done two fasting mimicking diets and two five day water fasts. And then for some other journeys, I just do like a 24 hour fast. 
but in any one of those circumstances, those are the ones that stand out to me the most yep. about anything I've done. And I think there is, a, there is something to it beyond physiology. Obviously, the physiology is potentiating the medicine, but at the same point in time, you know, even on a fasting mimicking diet, you're peeling layers back. Like it's, it's a something that's squeezing you in a yeah. way, right? And you yeah. begin to think outside the box. You begin to see things a little differently. So it's almost um, doing the work with the medicine in yeah. advance of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you're getting off the monkey brain hamster wheel too, because so much of food, like you've done some five-day fasts. I've done extended fasts. As long as I said, it was seven days. And what do you learn when you're doing these fasts is that, so much of our relationship with food is emotional. It's tied to boredom or this wanting that dopamine hit where food is not just food. It's not just sustenance for us. And fasting helps reset that expectation where it's like, okay, like my monkey brain wants to like nibble on something, but I'm not going to let it. And I'm going to not die. I'm just going to sit and not eat and think about things and like reset my, my brain. And then if you're having a, plant-based journey on top of that, it seems to fit together like a puzzle piece where you're gaining this mastery over your own willpower and, and mind and body. And the, the plant-based journey is helping you to introspect on top of that. Like it just feel, would feel weird to have that plant journey with like a, a hamburger, right? It's like, it's like (laughs) you're, you're like your brain is like, you're crossing wires in your brain. Like the whole point I think is to get outside of your body, to see yourself as a person in a vessel, but like also zoom way, way out and see, okay, everyone's a person in a vessel. And like, I am just the universe experiencing itself inside of this vessel. And it's like, if you're you're eating a hamburger while you're doing, there's something about that. It just doesn't feel right. Right. It's like, it's like you're, you're, you like, it takes you back into like, oh, I'm, I am me and I am hungry right now and I need to go eat. It's like the whole yeah. point, it's like zoom way, way, way out. Yeah, beyond primal function for yeah. sure. And, even, and then you can engage in the primal function after that with a deeper appreciation and a yes and a why behind it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm not, and, and a lot of people clean up their diet from, from journeys with ayahuasca and different things like that. I've been put through the ringer. A yeah. couple of times from not being on diet to perfectly, you know, and that's a, that's a, Be- because like so much of the reason that we're chasing candy and everything is, is your body doesn't need that. Like we've never evolved with that. Your body doesn't need that. You, you the, like addicted monkey brain thinks you need a pack of Starburst, but you, you don't actually need it. You, you think that that's going to make you happy. You're on the dopamine machine and you're, you're addicted and putting that aside and, having that plant-based journey and able ability to detach and like, what do I really want? Like, who am I really? What do I actually want? You feel like a child. It's like the thing you, oh, wow, let me go eat. Let me go grab some candy. It's like, why? why? The whole point is that you've, you've gotten enlightened to some like larger meaning. And in my experience, at least that you've let go of the, like the short-term need for the the quick hits and you've tapped into something way bigger. It's like, I don't know, candy. It's like this chip, it's too cheap. It's like this cheap mm-hmm. hit. Like I want to, I want to build a farm. <laughs> like I want to like, like I want to self-actualize. Like why would I distract myself with Skittles? I'm trying to become the best version of myself here. And I think that's powerful. And I think that if we're talking about, you know, ancient 
human evolutionary context, I mean, there, I think a lot of people by now know about the, that stoned ape theory, where mm-hmm. it's that very short period of human evolution where there's anthropological evidence where we were doing endurance hunting and we were eating a lot of mushrooms all within a very short amount of time. So we were fasting slash in ketosis, chasing down wild game, and we were eating a lot of mushrooms. And in that short period of time, that's when the our brain size expanded massively and, and homo sapien became homo sapien in a very short evolutionary window. And it's, it's interesting to think about in that context because like, I think the, the first human experience was a monkey that was high on mushrooms. <laughs> and they had that like, whoa, like that monkey over there, like what if I was them? And like, are they experiencing this like I am? And like, they had that first like <laughs> sentience. Self-awareness. Self-awareness. Yeah. And then they start, wow, like what if I could communicate? And then like, like language and symbols and coordination and community and empathy and like the basic axioms of humanity and society and civilization started to emerge. And then I don't know exactly where you want to draw the line of like, when did it become a human versus a monkey? Like what, what, where was that exact line? But there was this very rapid period of human evolution. And it's interesting in that context that we've always been guided by plants. We've always been this like participants in our own evolution. That's, I, that's part of what makes humans special is that we're not just getting kicked around by nature. It's like, we are participating in our own evolution. Like we are applying fire to meat so that the meat is easier to digest and we can spend less time and energy digesting and more time and energy building civilization. And then we progress to the next level and the next level and the next level. And we're, there's this participant evolution where we're creating technology. We're becoming the best versions of ourselves. We're reaching for the stars so I, I think it's an exciting period that we're in and like seeing where we're going to build next with what we currently have and like current technology and nutrition tools that we have. I think it's going to be wild to see how things evolve in the next, even just the next decade. I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of shifting changes. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. It, Technologically it, on all the ways. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, we were talking about it before, like pathologizing everything. It's interesting how, like we saw with like medical marijuana, like- humans were probably had access to cannabis forever. And then it got like made illegal. And now we're like unmaking it illegal, but like we have to pathologize a reason to make it unillegal to, or to make it legal. Like we have to, oh, well you are diagnosed with stress and the treatment for that stress is medical marijuana, but only because the doctor says so. And only if you buy it from this one spot, it's like, we need, we're like trying to pathologize our way and and systematically it. make it available, right? Only available through a system. Yeah. And I I th- I think medical marijuana set the pattern and my my stance on it is that everything's going to fast follow it. I think psilocybin, ketamine treatment, I, it's all treatments. It's like you go to the the there's a uh group called Field Trip. They do like ketamine treatments and there's like doctor assisted because there's got to be a doctor there cuz because there's got to be a doctor there to officially make it legit. But I think the the rate of adoption of everything I just said, like psilocybin, ketamine, all MDMA, like that's going to go really quickly. Because I think I think medical marijuana took has taken like decades to legalize, and there's still people doing jail time, which is which is terrible. And but I think I think that that the fact that medical marijuana kind of broke the seal on like, hey, like there's this whole world of 
of plants and other things that can help us to reach for the stars and take human progress to the next level, I think that's going to happen really quickly. I think, I think medical marijuana broke the seal and now it's like we're off to the races and it's like, hey, society didn't crumble now that people can like go buy weed at the store. Yeah, there's like, no reefer madness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, propaganda films. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk a bit. Um, we're at the hour mark, but I, wanna, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit on the performance side of things because I remember, you know, one of the things that got Dom into it was we're working with rebreathers and, and a lot of the SEAL teams um, and just in general, like, could they stay underwater longer? Could yeah. they perform better under stress? And could they do things that, that other people couldn't because much more was required of them? Yeah. You know, in working with the Department of Defense and working with uh, different elite level athletes and all functions of society, what are some of the ways in which you see uh, the potentials of these ketones going? Yeah. One of the big areas that we investigate is hypoxia, so low oxygen. So if you're on top of a mountain or fighter jet or deep water, or there's different contexts where operators are in low oxygen, outer space, uh, where you might have, have lower oxygen than like normal atmosphere level. And your body does a lot of weird things when you're in low oxygen. And there's this thing called mountain sickness, where if you're at 20,000 feet of altitude, you're, if you're not used to it, your body won't act right. You'll, you'll start feeling terrible. And the current standard of care on mountain sickness is you take this drug and it basically knocks you out. Like you get reduced cognitive function. You basically go to sleep. It, it cures the mountain sickness, but you can't do that much off of it. Well, we're seeing with ketones is the opposite where ketones solve for mountain sickness, but they actually increase cognitive ability. So we do things like hypoxia. Operators will put on a hypoxic mask it's this simulating 20,000 feet of altitude and they will ruck like on a treadmill wearing weights for an extended period of time and then do target practice and different cognitive drills and cognitive efficiency when you have ketones goes up compared to when you don't and it's this amazing finding where like people are not just like not getting mountain sick but they're like getting enhanced cognitive ability Again, it's, a, it's that substrate effect where like when your body needs to do something, when, you're, when you need to act, having the availability of this ketone substrate helps you to, to do that. So it's really exciting. And, and one, of the, one of the areas where I'm most curious about, I think a lot of people in the performance space are curious about is what exactly is driving, you know, we're saying like Tour de France cyclists do better, like they all love ketones. And there's an open debate on like, is that a body thing? Is it like ketones that's directly helping your muscles with, substrate energy or is it this mental thing where it's like if you're more confident going into a sporting event like mentally you're going to perform better and so, calmer too right right so if you yeah. go in so it's like is is it ketones that are like supplying the muscle with with substrate that's like making soldiers perform better better that's making tour de france riders perform better or is it a cognitive effect where just your 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 brain your central governor is is stronger and you're able to exert more willpower and you're just be able to crank it harder on the, on the bike. And it might not be that, that might be more dominant, that cognitive effect might be more dominant than like the fact that there's ketones also going to your quadricep muscles. It might be mainly the mental aspect that's driving the physical performance of it. So that's, that's one of the air, open areas that we're looking at is like, like we're, we're doing a lot of work on cognition in particular and seeing how cognition is driving all these different outcomes so that's phenomenal. And how about with um, 
it's been a minute since I've looked at it, but how about as far as like healing from TBI, CTE, uh, concussions, things yeah. like that? Yeah, that's a great one. So TBI, we just submitted a, a seven-figure contract with the Navy Health Research Center. TBI is massive in in the U.S. DOD, in the military population and veteran population, it, as well as the other group that it's really big in is NFL. It's probably also big in like in MMA. fighter, yeah, yeah. MMA. Um, and so, okay, what happens when you have a TBI, when you have a concussion or even a subconcussive injury is that there is damage that takes place on the moment of impact. And then there's this swelling that occurs that causes a starvation of energy for the following 72 hours plus. And that swelling causes further damage because less brain activity is going on during that period. So you have you have the initial damage and then you have like this ongoing starvation of energy on the brain. So so one current standard of care is like, okay, immediately fast, immediately do the ketogenic diet because you want to elevate ketones as quickly as possible. And that's a great application of an exogenous ketone where ketones go through a different pathway. They're not metabolized by the same enzyme. So they're not gated on the same things as glucose. They're also way more, they're, they're much smaller. And they're also, they require, much, they require less oxygen than glucose in order to metabolize. So in this context where you have this TBI and there's reduction in brain energy activation, ketones recover that. So I'm at a spot where if, like, if I got hit on the head, like I bike a lot, I ski a lot. Like if I got hit in the head, I would immediately take ketones or I would even have it in my system already as a prophylactic. So I just have elevating, elevated ketones just in case. Because yeah, I think, I think that the, the sports leagues and the military, I think are going to have to reckon with this fact. Like I, I think if you're an NFL commissioner, it's like, oh man, like- a lot of people are getting this like chronic brain damage. And if there's a solution out there that can possibly protect against that or prevent against that, it's like, it's irresponsible yeah. not to. So we're it's still in early innings of this. Like there's a lot of strong hypothesis. A lot of people think this can really work. There's some interesting findings around like ketogenic diet. So we're we're driving research with the Navy Health Research Center on like exogenous ketones specifically being able to improve outcomes after a TBI. So really interesting. I mean, That's it's one of the most, and and it's interesting too because the similar principle can also actually apply to Alzheimer's, where Alzheimer's is this. A lot of people consider it type three diabetes, where your brain has this inability to metabolize glucose. There's a huge correlation between Alzheimer's and type 2 diabetes that basically if you have insulin resistance anywhere, you have it everywhere. So if you have type 2 diabetes in your body, you also have it in your brain, you have dementia, Alzheimer's. And so ketones are this substrate that don't require insulin whatsoever to turn into ATP, cellular energy. And they're able to reduce seizures. They're able to increase cognitive ability. So it's this, it's this really interesting molecule for people that are experiencing all these neurological issues. It's also interesting just for like everyday people because the same principle holds true. Like if you're just you and you're gaming or you're, I don't know if you, I don't really game. I used to game. You're <laughs> gaming or just doing work, right? You're like jamming on spreadsheets, like editing a podcast, whatever. Uh, like the same principle holds true where it's having more, substrate availability in your brain 
just takes you to this other level that you wouldn't have been on otherwise. Yeah. One of the first talks I gave at Paleo FX back in 2018 was uh, around cognitive optimization and, you know, coming out of fighting into ketosis and diving into human performance. I was director of human optimization on it. Yep. I had a lot to speak on with that. Obviously, alpha brain, nootropics, I would t- guinea pigged all that shit. Uh, the, the largest portion of that talk that landed with people, because most of them had experienced nootropics and things like that, was around cognitive energy, right? We think like, what is the thing I can take that's going to, you know, create more acetylcholine in the brain yep. or nicotine, you know, and things like that. And they're all great. But, but what ultimately gives me the energy to do that? Yeah. Right? And that's where the conversation of ketogenic diets, movement, ketones yeah. that actually makes sense because ultimately it is that thing, right? If you have a good working brain to begin with, um, nootropics don't inherently make you smarter. It's just like, I want to be able to max out and sustained max out effort, whether that is a long podcast or grinding through a book that I need to study through for finals, yeah. whatever the case is, you know, like there are, there are peaks and valleys in life where we need to be our best and that we don't necessarily get to fit that perfectly into our schedule. It's all systems go yep. for a short period of time. Yeah. And a lot of times we put intelligence up on this pedestal, but it's, it's made out of these building bricks of if, if your short-term memory is just working better, they say that, that there's this idea of chunking where you can keep, you've heard this, like you're, you've, you've talked about it, like that you have uh five plus or minus two items that you can keep in your short-term memory at a given time. There's a big study done on that. And what, what a good nootropic will do is it will give you more like one or two more slots of chunking, which sounds small, but it's like if you're reading a book and you can better remember what happened three chapters ago, or you can connect some dot to some other things that are going on. It's like you have more like intelligence is all about dot connecting, but you can only connect the dots that are in front of you. So if you're able to keep like one or two more dots in front of you, it's like, that's huge actually. And it's, it's like the, this higher knowledge is higher intelligence. It's just, you know, hour by hour throughout your day that you have higher cognitive drive and you're able to like do more in that hour, do more in that day, do more in that week, do more in that year. And you're able to achieve like these great things. Like you're not putting together this whole like farm operation by like being a dumb dumb. Like what, like when, when you're spending an hour working, it's a high output hour. Like you're connecting a lot of dots in there. So I mean, I've I've always been excited by nootropics. I think yeah, well, you guys did it on it. Amazing. Like you guys, massive. And I think what I would what I would say is like people should take their favorite on it, take their favorite nootropic, whatever it is, and try stacking it with ketones. See how that accelerates things. Because like if you take like nicotine, say, okay, you're, you're like stimulate, stimulating your brain, but there's no calories inside of nicotine. So you're stimulating your brain. Your brain's going to want to go and do more and it's going gonna, it's gonna to do so, but it's also going to be pulling more energy. And where's that energy going to come from? What I've seen in the community and what a lot of people are enjoying is like, okay, yeah, if you have some ketones on top of basically your nootropic of choice, like whatever your stack, I don't want to be like prescriptive on this nootropic or that. I think a lot of people are smart to know to like test around and see what works for them. Like take what works for you and try ketones on top of it. And I think that's where you can just hit some next level shit. I'm running it right now and it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hell yeah. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people get a hold of this stuff? Yeah, you can check us out. We're Ketone IQ. The company is called Health Via Modern Nutrition. So hvmn.com. You can Google us, find us on Amazon. 
I'm personally out there. My handle is at BDM underscore runner. Love connecting with people. Love chatting with people. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram. I'd love to hear from people. Love to chat back. So let me know what you're doing, what you're trying out there, what you're testing. And yeah, let's keep the combo going. Beautiful, brother. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a lot of fun, Kyle.